Hi, folks. It's Stephen Smith here, co-producer of Order 9066. Next week, we'll drop the second chapter of our exploration of the Japanese-American incarceration. But meantime, we wanted to introduce you to one of the two hosts of the program, Saab Shimono. He has a personal connection to this story. Saab was born in Sacramento, California in 1937. He's a longtime actor living in Los Angeles. Saab has performed numerous times on Broadway and in dozens of films. His many TV credits include roles on Seinfeld, Friends, and MASH. Saab's family was incarcerated during World War II, like all people of Japanese ancestry living on the West Coast then. Co-producer Kate Ellis and I asked Saab to tell us about his experience of that time. What did your family do before you went to camp? We had a restaurant called Bay Cafe, and uh, my father was the chef and my mother was the waitress, and it was a family business. What kind of food did they serve? Well, it was American food. It wasn't the Japanese food. It was for the people around the area. We had a lot of German food, or like sauerkraut and pig's head and spare ribs, boiled spare ribs and short ribs and corned beef. I don't know where my father picked all that up because, you know, he's, he was from Japan. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, let's see, you were, I guess, roughly four when, say, Pearl Harbor was bombed. Do you have any memories of that day? The only memory I have of that time, which was when uh, we were to leave to camp, I just remember my father and mother perspiring. They were on the bed, and I suppose I was on the floor looking up at them because they looked big. And they were deciding what to tear up and what not to tear up because I think we were told that you couldn't keep anything Japanese and it had to be destroyed. And this is the only time I felt a sense of fear from my parents. Even when we went to camp, I never felt that. So one of your earliest memories is of that moment. And then what happened, either from what you remember or what you know then happened about how your parents were, how your family had to, was forced to move? The day, I suppose the day we were going to leave for camp, we got all our toys and we put it into a hall closet and hoping that we'll get it when we come back. And of course, when we came back, we came back to the same apartment and it wasn't there. But that was the first thing we did when we came home to the apartment. We went to the closet, and it was empty. Had anybody lived in that apartment while you were away? That, I don't know. I assume they did. Someone must have lived there, because it was was a rental. But it was amazing that, I I don't know how, when we got back from camp, how it was uh, still available for us. Your parents must have befriended the landlord in some way. I think so. Oh, I know what. Um... Uncle Charlie, he's, he had a uh, meat market, and he was our close friend. He protected us. So I'm sure he made an arrangement when we came back that we'll come back to the same space. I'm sure he made that arrangement. Because he used to send, when we were in Amache, Colorado, he used to send um, a box of wieners and bacon. But by the time we got it, it was all spoiled. Oh, God. But the thought of it was good, I suppose, yeah. Right. So yeah. I, just to ask the obvious question, was he, he was a white man? Oh, no, he was Chinese. Oh, he was Chinese. Okay. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Japan was not good to China, but he was good to us. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Yeah. All right. So let's, okay, so you remember putting your toys in a closet. What happened then that you know of? Tell us where you, where you went first and how you got there and just what you know and remember. First we went to uh, Tula Lake, California. And then we went to Amachi because my uncles and my grandfather, they were sent to Amachi, Colorado. What do you remember from the time in camp? Playing with friends or being in school or... What comes to mind? I remember smell a lot, like the smell in Tula Lake and in Amache, Colorado, which was a, a desert. And I always, when I go into the desert here near L.A., I smell the sagebush. I connect that with the time we were in camp. I remember this first time uh, I saw snow or touched snow in Tula Lake, because in Sacramento it doesn't snow. I remember catalogs, the thick catalogs. I think they were able to order things. Yeah. I think so. I, I remember uh, like some magazine with a picture of spearmint gum. We, my twin brother, uh, we would cut it out and we would chew it and imagine we're chewing spearmint gum. Did it work? No. <laughs> but... but <laughs> Just the thought of it, yeah. No, it tasted like paper. <laughs> but it was fun. I mean, yeah. little things like that. Use your imagination just to... Right, as kids do. Um, yeah. You guys are, yeah. of course, I'm assuming, put into a barrack. Did you all... Were you all in one room? What do you remember? One room. We shared one room, and my twin brother and I, we shared one bed. I was at one end, and he was at the other end of the bed, and we slept in the bed together. And we used to play cards, you know, like his foot was a pedal and my foot was a pedal. And we sort of used to play that way. <laughs> and yeah. so how was the rest of the room divided? Do you remember? I remember it just being a square room, all of us in one room. My older brother, because it was too small, went to stay with my aunt somewhere in camp there. And he was in his teens and all that. He got separated from the family because he, then he had his own life, sort of. Parents weren't there to say what you're doing and all that. Right. It divided the family. While you were at camp, did either of your parents have a job in camp? Um, my father worked at the mess hall because he was a cook. And in a way... For my parents, like my father, from the age of 18, he was always working, always working, never getting ahead. And finally there was camp, and then all of a sudden he didn't have to work, he didn't have to worry about food. He had some time on his own. He started doing his sculpture work, which he did in Japan. There's a piece at the Smithsonian right now. But things like that, he was able to pursue his other dreams and that time in camp gave him that opportunity. A lot of uh, families have said that time in camp was the first time anybody had time to pursue any kind of, if you will, hobby or extracurricular activity true. other than work. True, true, true. Tell us about the object that's in the Smithsonian. It's the, uh, the cat. It's supposed to be the image of my sister, Setsuko. The sculpture piece, the wooden sculpture piece. 
that my father made. Actually, he made it out of one of the posts that was keeping us in camp. How did he do that? I don't know. <laughs> if you look at it, you see holes in it. That You can see nail, like nail marks. It was a fence post. Yeah. But it was a post. I mean, he made it while in camp, right? I mean, yes. so how did he even get the post? Do we know that? Well, you know what happened? As the war went on, the guards became more lax about guarding us because they realized that we're not going to go anywhere. So they were pretty lax about that. But I don't know how he got the post. What do you, I mean, and this doesn't have to be from your childhood memory, but how was this experience affecting your older siblings and your parents? You know, they never talked about it. We never talked about it. We just moved on. What about when you got much older? Did you ever talk about it with your siblings when you were, you know, well into adulthood? Well, I said, once I start becoming aware of what happened, was that if I was in my teens or or 19, I would have been so angry. I would have fought back or refused to go to camp. That's what I would have done. But then I'm of another generation because my father was the first generation. And he came over. He jumped ship in... Uh, Seattle, Washington, and then uh, became a citizen after the war. But before the war, he was not a citizen. But obviously, as you've already said, it's not like you called them one day or saw them one day and said, by the way, just figuring out this uh, internment thing, why didn't you fight back? That I no, no, we never discussed it. It was my thought, you know. Uh, why didn't we do something? But I understand. But now I understand where they came from too. During that time, the government was not too sympathetic to the Asian community, to say the least. Yeah, say the least. Yeah. So they were always just keep it low, don't make any waves, and survive. Do you have any memories of leaving camp? Uh, I remember one. I remember going to camp. We were on the train. And I was in my on my mother's lap. Then I remember coming back from camp. We were now on a bus. We're driving through Sacramento. And I remember how lush and green and the trees. You know, I said, wow, this is paradise. Because, you know, in uh, Macho, Colorado, there was no tree. And it wasn't green. Then I also remember uh, as we're the bus coming through the city, I remember people sort of angry at us from the street, sort of protesting like. They were angry that the Japanese-Americans were returning to their community. Probably, yeah. I remember that. Have you ever gone back? Have you done any of the pilgrimages? I did go back to Amacha, Colorado when I was doing a show. And I said, oh, too bad. There's nothing there. Nothing exists from the camp life. Uh, when we left Tula Lake, my twin brother and I, we made a uh, out of mud a little chair, a little chair like a little monument that when we come back, it'll be there. This chair that was made out of mud. Hmm. Yeah. But but you never went back to Tule Lake. No, no. 
So tell us about getting back. I mean, you remember the lushness of Sacramento. How did your family... So you went back to the same apartment, which does actually sound sort of amazing. Yeah. What else do you remember? I mean, how did your family pick up and start over? What I understand was that (laughs) my mother, uh, when we went to camp, took all the money out of the bank and sewed the money into a bra. So when we came back, we had enough money to start a new restaurant. And we couldn't go back to Bay Cafe because the man we entrusted Bay Cafe to when we were gone sold the business without telling my parents. So they opened up a new restaurant called Diamond Cafe. But we had the money, I suppose, to start. And you probably started public school when you got back. I started public school soon after, yes, right after. And the thing that my mother said when school the first day, she said, you know, people are going to, they might make fun of you, but uh, just let it pass. So that was nice that she said that because I didn't, we didn't even think about it. But fortunately, once, once we got into school, Lincoln Grammar School, as kids, no one knew anything about the war, so... We did fine there. Were there many other um, Japanese-American students also returning with you? Oh, yes. The student body was basically Hispanic, African-American, and Asian. <laughs> it was like if you saw one or two uh, white people there, it was a, why are they there? There must be something wrong. So they were really the minority. Was there a little Tokyo in uh, Sacramento? Yes, there was. There was a little, little Japan town. It was our pride and joy. Then, then finally we get settled there by 1950 or something. The state decides to tear down Japan town and Chinatown to build um, a freeway through it. They just tore up the neighborhood, the community. Wow. So we were scattered again. So-called urban renewal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, wow. Um, when you think about this period of history, I mean, or when you even think about, you know, our doing this podcast, it's going to try to our best to tell that history. Well, you know, what is it you think it's important for people to understand about that time now? I don't know. Is there, is there still the president could have an executive order to put other people in incarceration? Yeah, it's possible. So we have to be alert. And we have to speak up, which I would (laughs) now. That was Saab Shimono, one of the hosts of Order 9066. Join us next week for our second chapter in this series. President Franklin D. Roosevelt signs Order 9066, and people of Japanese ancestry are forced to leave home. You can see photos from the incarceration period and find links to additional resources at our website, apmreports.org. While you're there, you can upload photos of any objects that you may have that are linked to the incarceration, and you can see a gallery of what others have contributed. This series is a production of APM Reports and the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. We had help this week from Emerald O'Brien, Hannah Murayama, and Mary Beth Kirshner. Support for Order 9066 comes from the Terasaki Family Foundation, the Henry Luce Foundation, the Wallace Alexander Gerbodi Foundation, and Penelope Shawlock.
This is APM, American Public Media.